0: The thing about experiments is that you don't actually fail. You get data. You try things out and you say, okay, what can I do with this data? What can I learn from this?
1: Welcome to The Chill Factory, where we make work, school, relationships, and life less stressful. I'm Jordan Friedman. When the idea of doing an episode about 30-something panic came up, my first thought was, really? What are 30-somethings panicked about? But then three things changed my mind. The first was, of course, people in all age groups can experience feelings of panic. The second is that Rates of anxiety disorders and depression and suicide have been rising sharply among 30-somethings as well as other groups for the past 10 to 15 years. And feelings of worry and self-doubt and other stressors can fuel mental illness, especially when they're chronic and unaddressed. So all of that alone is reason to talk about 30-something panic. And the third reason was the discussion I had with my guest, Carrie Spaulding, who showed me particular flavors of 30-something panic, along with compelling ways to quiet it. Now, I'm not 30-something, but I also found Carrie's advice calming. Carrie Spaulding is a coach, speaker, facilitator, improviser, educator, nomad, and human, In her work as the 30-something coach, Carrie helps 30-somethings break through 30-something panic to find careers, relationships, and lives they love. Carrie Spaulding, welcome to the Chill Factory.
0: Hey, Jordan, it's so great to be here.
1: Carrie, in reading your work, there's something that jumped out at me, one among many things, and I'll start with this one. It's that... When a lot of us are growing up, we are told, you can do anything, and you can be anything. And then, somewhere along the line, that converts to, you should be this, and you should be doing that. And often that conversion happens in our 30s, and... It's a big source of 30-something panic. Am I interpreting all of that correctly?
0: Yeah, well, I think what you've just articulated is something that so many 30-somethings and other somethings deal with, but my specialty is really working with 30-somethings who are dealing with what I call 30-something panic, that feeling of I should have figured it all out by now. You know, there's, there's a way that my life was supposed to look, and some people might have had a very specific image of what that would have looked like. And some people it would be a lot more vague. Regardless, there's this image that we kind of develop when we're young of what a quote-unquote real grown-up is. And by the time we get to adulthood, it's it can be very jarring to realize, well, wait a second, there's a mismatch between that picture and and what I see, and who I am, and what I'm doing, and what I have, and what I don't have. And it can be a tremendous amount of pressure, and a source of a lot of, of, as you say, angst and and panic for a lot of people.
1: How does 30-something panic differ from a midlife crisis?
0: So, you know, it's interesting. The first thing that comes to mind is that the things that humans panic about and the things that humans want in terms of kind of boxes that are checked for them are the same at any age in their in their broadest forms. So connection, right, relationships, contribution, purpose, meaning. And so at every age, we're, we're still humans first and we want to feel that we're ticking certain boxes, whether or not we think of it that way. There's that commonality between 30-something panic and what you might call a midlife crisis. And we have different names for different periods. When I started as the 30-something coach, I realized that we didn't really have a name for that type of crisis at this age.
1: And I would say from the other side of 30s, 40s, 50s, some look at 30-somethings and say, just chill, just calm down, because it, this panic or this concern or this worry is part of life. It's part of growing up. It builds resilience. And I used this in another interview. It's an Indigo girl song that I always go back to because I love this lyric. It's something like, Every five years or so, I look back on my life and have a good laugh. <laughs> Us talking today made me think about that lyric once again. Any, any response to that?
0: Oh, well, just a, a giant sigh of what it is to be a person. <laughs> because it, it the blessing of perspective. I think that people who are through their 30s and looking back... Um, that energy can come from a couple of places. One can be that wow, it all it all turned out all right, and I wish I could have seen that. I wish I could have seen how how beautiful I was, or how okay I was doing, or how I was worrying about things that I didn't need to worry about. And then some people, you know, who may have some some unresolved hurts and challenges and things that they that they. You know, don't feel great about can look back with longing. It's almost like a comparison to a younger self, and it's like, oh, I would give anything to be that age, right? To have that time back, and it, it can come from that place too. But either way, that benefit of perspective is something that, no matter what age you are, one thing that that can be really helpful to do is to try to give yourself a little bit of that by zooming out. And really know that there's going to be a day 10 years from now where you're not here. And you're going to have 10 more years of perspective. And you're going to see this differently.
1: Yeah, I I like that. And I think it's also true that when you're in the middle of an earthquake, you're not thinking about, oh, this will be okay. This is all going to work out fine. It's not until way after the earth stops shaking That you can stop shaking and you can focus and you can have that perspective. Okay, let's continue with a few of the other things that you have written that jumped out as 30-something panic fuel. One is comparing ourselves to others and boy is that different now than it used to be in terms of the fire hose of media that allows us to compare ourselves to other people and other situations and other lives.
0: Yes, we are we're all running personal PR companies. Uh, you know, I heard it put once and I wish I could remember where I heard it first, that we compare our insides to other people's outsides. And we see what other people are showing, often on social media. That's actually true even in the supermarket, though, right? We only see what we can observe or what people choose to share with us. And we don't know the complexities of what's going on inside of them. And we do know the giant mess that we contain inside. We know all the insecurities. We know the failures. We know the questions. We know all the stuff and so it's really normal that we do this and it's really important to recognize when we're doing it and not to add another layer of pain to it because what i hear a lot of people doing is Not only do they feel bad in the first place in the comparison, but then we add another layer of judgment onto ourselves. We think, I shouldn't feel jealous, or I shouldn't compare, or I should just get my act together. So now we're feeling bad and we're feeling like jerks, and we're feeling bad that we're jerks, Um, or that we're not um, embodying positive thinking enough, or that we're not, you know, we haven't moved beyond that part of being a human.
1: I love the way you started the answer with we all have our own PR companies now. Mm -hmm. Isn't that the truth? And even for someone who is really accomplished and they scroll through Instagram and all you see is smiles and riches and travel and beaches and all the good stuff in the world, you don't often see people having a bad day on Instagram and having people around us who support us and remind us that we're doing great stuff and we are contributing to the world and we're really good friends to them help take some of the edge off of those comparisons.
0: Yeah, that's so that's so important, Jordan, to be able to reach out and connect because there's something extremely isolating about that swiping through and comparing and when we can bring our focus back to the people who actually know us and real-time engagement as you said and then use that comparison or jealousy as a diagnostic tool just to kind of shine a light like a flashlight on What's something that I'm wanting to create or an action that I'm wanting to take, something I think I'm seeing in this other person's life or some thought or belief I have that this is activating, and what's a concrete action I can take to just invest in my own life right now? Not so that I'll be as good as that person who's sitting on the beach, you know, in this perfect view, not from a place of comparison, but just a place of um, investing my energy in, into my own real life.
1: So Carrie, with our limited time left, are there overarching ideas or suggestions or tips that you would provide when 30-somethings or other somethings find themselves in that conversation with themselves of, oh my gosh, I'm this age, I'm supposed to be doing this, I'm not doing this, time is running out, look at what they're doing, all of the things that we've talked about. Any roadmaps that you can leave us with?
0: So hands down, mindset is the biggest game changer for breaking through 30-something panic. And this is, it, it seems like, yeah, 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 that's just the inside stuff. It's really the biggest lever that I see helps people move out of 30-something panic and, and towards creating what they want. And one mindset that I really like to encourage people to try is kind of like a laboratory mindset. Uh, a lot of us get stuck in the idea of, I have to figure out everything, and then I can put it into action. And that is actually impossible, because change happens with action information and clarity happen with action so when we tell ourselves i have to figure out the exact right you know answer for me and then i can implement it that's where we get stuck in reflection so that laboratory mindset is treating everything as an experiment every job application is an experiment every informational interview is an experiment every first conversation with a new therapist is an experiment every date is an experiment and the thing about experiments is that you don't actually fail you get data you try things out you you try out an idea or a theory and then you get data and you say okay what can I do with this data what can I learn from this So that laboratory mindset is really, really helpful for a lot of the people that I help. And another mindset I like to encourage people to take on is the multi-win mindset. The multi-win mindset is choosing to believe that there will always be a win in any experiment. We just don't know yet what the win will be. So for example... Most people think that the win that would come out from applying for a job would be getting the job and loving the job. And in reality, applying for a job could bring you so many different things. It could require you to get clearer on what you're bringing to the table, which ends up being an articulation that you later use. It could give you a contact with somebody who doesn't hire you but then introduces you to the person who does hire you. It could give you practice interviewing and maybe, you know, even if you feel like it goes terribly, you learn something from that that ends up being something that you implement at a at, at stage that you are going to move forward. So the multi-win mindset sets you up with infinite ways to have any experiment provide value for you and it takes away that pass fail mentality where you're really setting yourself up with pretty good odds of feeling like a failure <laughs> instead of pretty uh, excellent odds of knowing that no matter what there's going to be something positive that comes out of this so I can I can go forward and try with my full my full enthusiasm and wait to see the exciting things that develop and then I'll be able to spot them when they do
1: Excellent advice and you may even say at some point in your life i am so happy i didn't get that job because Mm -hmm. now i'm doing this and i love it yes carrie spaulding i would love to go on talking with you for hours but our time has definitely run out however carrie has lots of resources including free ones and we will Put those in the episode notes. Carrie, thanks so much for coming by the Chill Factory today. I really appreciate it.
0: Oh, Jordan, it's been great chilling with you. Thanks for having me.
1: True or false, most of our stress is caused by the way we think. For most of us, the answer is true. But this doesn't mean we're bad people and that there's no hope for reducing our stress. In fact, there is an exercise called the mod squad, also known as cognitive reappraisal, or as Carrie put it, changing mindsets. In very simple terms, it's thinking differently to reduce our stress. It sounds easy, but most of us are creatures of habit and we get into very habitual ways of thinking or thinking ruts. So it becomes more difficult for many of us to think differently about some of the experiences in our lives to make them less stressful. That's why I want to take a couple of minutes during this break room session of The Chill Factory to teach you a six-step structured way of rethinking to reduce stress. Here's how it works. Step one is identify a source of stress. So let's say it's being single or not being in a romantic relationship. Step two is asking the question, what is it about this source of stress that makes it stressful? So I might answer, well, being single feels lonely. I have lots of couples, friends, so I feel left out. And I'm getting older, so I feel like I'm running out of time to meet someone. Step three is asking the question, do you think that you could reduce the stress of being single if you thought about it in different ways. In order to continue the mod squad exercise you would have to answer yes to this question. So I'll answer yes and that will take us to step four. Now step four involves getting a group of people together, maybe friends or co-workers if appropriate, family members, so that they can come up with alternative ways for you to think about Being single. Why get a group of people together to do this? It's because of what I said before. We as individuals get into very habitual ways of thinking about our situations and therefore it often makes it harder to come up with alternative ways to look at things. Ways that will help us feel less stressed. So let's say we get together a group of my friends or podcast listeners and we have them come up with different ways I can think about being single. The important instruction here is that the sky is the limit when coming up with different ways to think about being single or whatever the stressor might be. So my group members might say, well, being single is great because... It allows you to meet even more people who could potentially be the right partner for you. Someone else might say if you're single you can have more sex. Someone else says that soon there will be more single people than there are in relationships. Another could offer that being single means that you can be freer to do more of the things you like and to potentially meet someone in those situations. And finally, for now, a last person could say, we're all living longer, so you really do have even more time to find the mate you want. Step five has me review this list of alternative ways of thinking about being single and choosing a couple that stand out to me as, yeah, I could think of it in a different way. I could be having more sex or there are lots of different ways to be single. And finally, in step six, I would take time to think about these alternative ways of thinking about being single. I would write them down, I would put them on my phone, I would set them as reminders, I would ask my friends to remind me of them the next time I complained or felt depressed about being single. I've been leading the Smart Squad exercise for 20 years with groups and without fail, the person for whom alternatives are being generated Always finds an alternative way to think about a stressor so that it's less stressful. And by the way, mod in the Mod Squad exercise means modified ways of thinking. We'll put these steps in the episode notes so that you and your Mod Squad can try them out it's quitting time for this episode of the chill factory i'm jordan friedman thanks so much for listening we have more resources at thechillfactory.net and you can leave a voice comment or question there just look for the blue tab on the right side of any site page be sure to subscribe or follow the chill factory so you'll know when new episodes are available and if you liked something you heard on this or any episode we'd love it if you rated or reviewed the chill factory wherever you get your podcasts. And as author and motivational speaker Dennis Waitley said, you must look within for value, but must look beyond for perspective.